You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 152 called How to Build Your EdTech Toolkit. In this episode, we'll talk about how to find the EdTech tools that are best for you, your students, and your life. In a world where there are so many choices for educational technology, it's more important than ever to be able to build your very own EdTech toolkit. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. Hey, you back with episode 152 here. We have a couple updates. We'll just get right into those because I'm anticipating this might be a two-part show for for us today because there's a lot that goes into this and I think it's super important for us to talk about building your EdTech toolkit, being able to hone in on what EdTech tools that you actually wanna use that's gonna be valuable for you, for your productivity and to enhance learning in your classroom is key, not getting overwhelmed by all the copious amounts of choices that are out there. Yeah, that's the what we're going to be focusing on. Before we do that, the uh, you know upcoming stuff for us is the, uh, like we mentioned in the last episode, 12 Days of EdTech, our YouTube series that we do every winter prior to the start of the holiday season or, or during the holiday season, I guess, where for the 12 days leading up to winter break, you can expect one video, technically a video per day, although sometimes we just throw them all out there anyway. But basically, guys and I each find six things, six new things that we want to share in the tech world and record something and share that out. So that's going to be coming up soon. I believe the unless things get shuffled, which they very well may. But as of now, our idea is to have that all set by December 18th, 2023. And if you listen to our episodes as they are released on the exact day, or at least close to, uh, that will be the episode where we officially announce that it's there. But, you know, it probably if I was a listener, just follow us on YouTube. We've got a channel. If you just go to YouTube and search, we got teched and got tech the podcast, you'll find it. And if you subscribe, then you'll know anytime we post video content, because we do a decent amount of that. So, you know, check that out as an upcoming thing. We've also got, I can't believe it, but we're coming up on the sort of winter spring conference season. And we're going to throw a date out here that sounds unbelievable to me. And that is March 12th, because I feel like the school year just started. And here we are talking about March, but I guess, I mean, we're, it's essentially winter time. So we might as well start thinking about March for our favorite conference, NJECC. Yeah, so this year we'll be doing two, or we propose to do two, EdTech throwdowns. One is going to be solely based on AI tools, and the other one is going to be solely based on EdTech tools that do not involve AI. So these will be mostly new, I would say. I'd say about 90% of them are going to be new. And to be honest with you, the, the ones that we have in our head right now will probably change before then too because of all the cool stuff that's coming out. But uh, make sure that if you are going to the NJECC conference that you find us there on Tuesday. We'd love to to hang out. Every year we meet somebody that listens to the show and it kind of 
lights a fire under our rear ends and makes us want to do more when we hear that uh, people are listening and they, they get value from our show. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So let's get into our main bulk of this episode, which is how to build your EdTech toolkit. There are things that we have to think about and you know, I have six things listed here. I went over these with Nick prior to doing the show just to make sure that I didn't forget something. And, you know, we probably will elaborate on these. And you could also probably make one of our points, two or three points within it because we're, we're known to chalk things down, keep them simple. So I will go into our first thing to think about when you're building your EdTech toolkit, which is to write down your favorite teaching best practices and strategies. So each year we get a new class and the students are all different. So one of my favorite ways of teaching is having a UDL, Universal Design for Learning, as my my safety net, my blanket. And that's me assuming that all my kids do not learn the same way. And then I have to come up with different options to get the most out of my students. So me personally, I have to be a hands-on type of a learner to learn things. I know I have some students like that. I know that there are some students that have to read and read and read things over and over and over again to make sense before they start making connections. I know some people think in pictures and do better while looking at pictures as someone is explaining something. So we have all these different learners. So I would tend to make my EdTech toolkit based on a universal design for learning strategy there. Yeah. And and for me, if I'm doing the first step here, which is, you know, picking out the strategies you're going to use, I'm more of a focusing on the flipped classroom as the sort of the backbone. So no matter what I'm doing in class, I always know that there's, um, you know, recorded video lessons to go along with what we're what we're covering. And that's sort of how, you know, most of the things that I would then put in my EdTech toolkit are going to be built around around that. How do I, how am I going to record these videos? How am I going to host them? How are the kids going to gain access to them and things related to that? And, and I will say um, on top of that, on top of the video content, you're going to need a way to give that variety, just like you were talking about. So I don't know if I have like a name for the strategy, probably UDL is like the term for it, like you just talked about. But what are these different things that my students are going to be working in? Hands-on stuff is definitely going to be part of that as well. The big message here is if you don't know what your favorite teaching strategies are, and you've got them, right? If you're an educator, you have your favorite teaching strategies. But like this whole process has to start with you thinking about that and and coming up with what what does that look like for you? Even if you're a traditional style teacher where you're coming in and, and you are providing direct instruction to the students, that can be your favorite too. And there is ed tech to support that and the best ways to do it. So that is uh, step one of the process is making sure you know what strategies you need to fill out or, or, or build up, I should say, with ed tech. So just to put like, a little example into this is oil and water. So if, if your practice is like water, if your teaching practice is like water and we're picking ed tech tools that 
you know, don't mesh well with water, we're basically throwing oil on top of that. What you want to do here is you want to make sure that your be best practices are locked down. So then in step two, we could bring in matching the functionality of your practice. So you want to pick the functionality needs that, that you have for your class based on whatever your best uh, practices and strategies are. So if if you don't pick tools that are going to help you succeed, it's it's not going to mesh well and it's going to seem like you're all over the place. So the second one is to think about the functionality needed to best represent those best practices and strategies. Yep, and that would be, you know, for example, if I sort of walk forward with with my example, if if I'm going to focus on developing a flipped classroom for the year, then I re the next thing I need to think about is what do I need to do that? And obviously recording the videos would be, uh, that might even be step two. Step one would be designing the presentations that I'm going to use to record those videos. If, you, if you're not interested in recording your own videos, where are you going to find the videos that your students will watch? But essentially it's the content, right? Where is that, where is that coming from? How is it going to be created? Where am I going to find it? Then it becomes, well, how are the students going to view it? What, what are they going to watch this on? Do they have devices? Are we going to rely on their cell phone use? Is that feasible? Is there an ed tech tool that's going to help me keep track of who's watching what? And, and everything that then comes down the line with that. Maybe the next phase would be, how am I going to assess their understanding of these things before they come to class? And, and that list could go on and on and on. But that's what, we, that's what we mean by functionality is if you know your strategies, then you can say or you can think about what, what you need those your tools to do. Whatever your ed tech tools are going to be, what do you need them to do? Which is maybe that might be like the hardest part of the process because there's so many phases to essentially you know thinking about your lesson planning. There's a ton to think about with, with that one. Yeah. I mean, all that is good stuff, but I, we, we added this as its own separate one, but really this should be built into multiple of these when we think about it, and that's to not over-tool your tech toolkit. And this is where I feel people get into trouble. Right? They want a tool for this specific one, a tool for that specific functionality, and so on and so forth. Just remember that especially in the high school where they have eight different classes, seven different classes, depending on your schedule. All right, maybe it's six. It doesn't matter, but they have six teachers. And if each teacher has five different tools that they use and there's no overlap, that's 40 different ed tech tools that they're using. And that could be problematic. So grouping your, your ed tech tools is definitely something, and grouping your functionalities it's definitely something that you want to think about when you're going through this process. Another one that we kind of already addressed in here, but I want to emphasize is keep your students in mind. I said that with UDL, but we really have to because 40 tools is a lot. You know, anything over, you know, 10, 12 tools for one student to use during the school year is is a lot luckily i feel like a lot of teachers overlap like if someone uses we video for their video uh, making tool i feel like most of the teachers in that building will but with screencasting you can get into 12 different screencasting tools very easily and a lot of them have a free version so 
one teacher could choose Loom. One teacher could choose my favorite screen pal. One person could do Wii Video. You have Canva in the mix now. You have Screencast-O-Matic. I mean, there's tons that you could do there. You want to try to play well and keeping your students in mind and keeping what they already know in mind. Because teaching new tools for every lesson, for everything, it's going to waste a lot of content time. Yeah. You know, if we, let's use my example again. So flipped classroom, if that's what I'm going with, then I know I'm going to, I'm very picky. So I'm going to make my own video content. So I need, I need a screencast recorder. That's one of the tools that's going to go in my EdTech toolkit. What that means is, or what I think you're trying to say is you're going to drive yourself crazy if you are using three different screencast recorders for different videos because you like what this one does. You know, if you're recording something in a PowerPoint presentation, but I like what this recording tool does if I'm showing something on my desktop or writing with like my, I don't know, a, a stylus and my little tablet, that it gets messy and it gets a lot to keep track of. And if you're very comfortable with technology, maybe that's how you can run your day. But for me, and I think for most teachers, that's not a good way to do it. You want to try to choose like one thing. What is one tool that you can use every single time and you know it does the job? And, and that's part of keeping your students in mind too. You know, this recording phase that I'm talking about, that doesn't really affect them so much because I'm referring to the, the teacher doing the recording. But if you're using a bunch of different tools for these purposes, it's just really challenging for your students and it's going to leave them feeling like they can't keep track of what's what. You know, this uh, this issue of recording videos is something that we do a lot of. So we, we know what our favorite one is, and it, it's called ScreenPal now. It used to be Screencast-O-Matic. I know just based on trial and error, that's the one that I can use for everything. It, it does a really great, easy job of recording whatever I want. It describes whatever's on my screen. It's not t You can download the recorder to your desktop, so it's not tied to, like, being online or only recording, you know, if you're in Google Chrome and then it, it stops recording if you leave Chrome, it's just, it captures everything. It's got great editing tools right there. So I don't have to export the recording to a different platform to do the editing because all that adds layers and time for me that I don't have. And it allows me to send it like straight to YouTube or straight to my Google Drive right from the platform. So I don't have to do any downloading and uploading it's all right there. And that's the type of stuff that you want to find for these different purposes that, that you need. So, you know, if anybody listening to this is interested in the video creation thing, I mean, there's one for you, ScreenPal. You want to check it out and download it today. Yeah, so we've talked about identifying best practices and strategies. We talked about picking the functionality that best suits those strategies the functionality of tech tools that best fits those strategies. We also talked about not over-tooling and keeping your students in mind. The next one point that I want to make is you should contemplate the positive and negatives of one-off tools versus a one-stop shop. So a one-off tool would be something like a background remover. What is one of the background removers that yeah, there's like Slazer, there's uh, BG remover, background or remove BG, remove BG. That's it. Uh, those are all great, but they do one thing. They do it well. Now we have Canva. Canva does that background remover and it does a whole bunch of other things well. 
And for my classroom, Canva is one of those, you know, solid foundation tools. I We can use that for a lot of things for student creation and teacher creation. So in my opinion, I would sacrifice the Slaza, the Remove BG, get that out of my toolkit just so I could help them stay within one. So we we did an episode called the Swiss Army Knife of uh, EdTech Tools. Right. And really, if we brought some of those back, we can we can do this again and really think about those as we implement these strategies into our classroom and the EdTech tools that, that support those. So really contemplate whether or not that one-stop shop tool really needs to be on your list or if one of the tools that you have as a foundation for your EdTech toolkit is there that does the same thing, can you sacrifice it? and just do with that one tool. Yeah, and that's, there's two things you said that I want to make sure to reiterate. The, the first one is, you know, you, you hear us, if you listen to our show, you hear us talk about Canva a lot. So I don't think we need to beat that with a dead horse because it's just, it's been out there so many, uh, in so many ways in general for educators and for our listeners as well. But man, if there if there is a a one-stop shop tool, it can do so many things. It, it is Canva. You know, the example I've given already for me in, in video recording, you can do that in Canva. You can make the presentation in Canva that you're going to use to make your video. You can record that presentation in Canva, and you can get a link to share that video in Canva. So that covers like a bunch of stuff right there. And you can also download it and, do, and edit it further, whatever you want to do. But Canva is just like the quintessential example at least these days, for a tool that does many things. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is there's nothing wrong with a one-stop shop. If you've got one that's really good, then it can become extremely valuable. One that we talked about in our most recent episode that is a one-stop shop but is is an excellent one is uh, TextBlaze. I don't know about you, but I've been using that thing like crazy. And I guess what makes it special is that it, while it does do just one thing, that one thing can fit into like a hundred different other places. So we're not knocking the one-stop shops, but uh, you want to you want to make sure if you've got that one-stop shop that it's really it's really adding to your day, either in terms of productivity or adding to your lessons in terms of being more engaging. But um, you know that that's worth pointing out with this whole thing. Yeah, I mean the one-stop shops are definitely should be added if it's going to do something extremely well that something that you already don't use doesn't do or doesn't do well. One of the ones that I'm talking about is, as an example, is Moat. Moat does that voice feedback so well that saves you so much time. doesn't really do much outside of that. I mean, yes, you can app smash it with other things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking the functionality of feedback is so good with that tool that I can't see myself going away from it uh, for easy voice feedback. Right. I, I just, I, I don't see a tool out there that competes with that at the moment. So I guess that brings us up to the next one. And really this is going to be the, the bulk of this episode. I mean, this is, we're going to lay out a, EdTech toolkit that you and I collectively use in our classes, but 
really we use two different ones. We use one for productivity and that's like teacher preparation or professional duties, those types of things. And then we use one that is for our students. So I think for this episode, we should just choose the teacher preparation one. And maybe if uh, we can revisit this later in another episode and do our teaching at tech toolkit. So let's get right into it. Uh, we narrowed down five different categories in our professional or planning ed tech toolkit. This is the one for our productivity with what we do in our classrooms. This is everything preparing up to that moment. The five categories we came up with are lesson planning, presentations, activity development, assessment creation, and rubric creation slash leaving feedback slash grading because all that kind of fits under the grading. Right. right? Whether it's a formative or summative, it doesn't matter. You're still going to use those same methods. So why don't you start us off with the first category, which is lesson planning. And we're just going to list a couple of different ones that we use under this topic. And then uh, maybe we can identify which one uses what. Yeah, sure. Lesson planning. Lesson planning is tough because every school is probably going to tell you, teacher, this is the lesson planner that you're going to use, right? We have to do our lesson plans in something called on course. You might have to do your lesson plans in something else. So we didn't want to give like specific lesson planners because that is usually fairly well defined by wherever it is you work. So instead, the approach here was, what are some tools that can help you write those lesson plans in whatever form you're doing them, uh, even if you're just typing out lesson plans in a, in a Google Doc that you then have to share with an administrator, what's going to help you to write those things? And I'll take a more general approach to this, and that is we're super lucky to be talking about this in 2023 because there are AI tools available to us that can either write the entire lesson plan for you, which sometimes I find m more work because I have to go back and and revise so much of it that I end up feeling like, well, I should have just done this myself anyway. But you can do it if, you, if you're happy with what you're, you're getting from things like ChatGPT or, or BARD or, you know, fill in whatever chatbot you prefer. It'll straight up write lesson plans for you, given a topic and a grade level and whatever info you put in. For me, I've kind of found it's the more valuable use is having it give me ideas. ChatGPT is going to scour like millions of resources that I could never search myself if I was just like Googling things to get new ideas. So, you know, whatever you, whatever you teach, just try this. Open up ChatGPT and type in what are some fun hands-on ways to teach blank. I'll fill in one that I did last week to teach electron configurations. I've been teaching electron configurations for like 15 years now. And I'm pretty good at it. Like I know how to do it and I can get all those students writing electron configurations with ease, but it's starting to feel a little bit dry. So if you want to change it up, ask ChatGPT how to change it up. I learned about a thing called, yeah, what was it called? What's that game? I used to play it when I was a kid where you would like call out like A7 and you put a little- Bingo? Not bingo. I mean, yeah, bingo, but <laughs> now there's, there's ships- Battleship. Battleship. That's it. Okay, so there's a thing called electron configuration battleship, where you've got a periodic table as your as your board, 
and you call out electron configurations and you put a little a little chip on the element whose electron configuration matches that. Apparently, this is a thing that's been out there in the chemistry teaching world that somehow I did not know about, but because ChatGPT does what it does, it told me about it, and then I could incorporate that as a, as a new, fun, hands-on thing. So you're going to see this come up a, a lot over and over again because we wanted to sort of build in that idea of a one-stop shop, and, and AI is that. It is a one-stop shop that can do so many things, and it's, it's got a place in lesson planning I think more than more than anything else, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that's a great strategy. I have used it in that light, but uh, I'm I'm going to go with a more of a. It's not a one-stop shop by any means. It's more of a Swiss Army knife tool of AI tools, and that's right. MagicSchool.ai. The amount of stuff that you could do in there. It's made for teachers by teachers and. Really, it's just saving me so much time. So much time that uh, I live in magicschool.ai. So I would definitely go over and check that out for lesson planning. You could just type whatever topic that you want. You can say use uh, and whatever standards that you want, whatever your state standards are. Find standards on that. It will list those standards uh, will come out with objectives. You can change it up and say, you know, replace that activity with a new one, see what it comes up with. It's just it's it's just a really awesome collection of AI prompts that's gonna help teachers save so much time. That's the other thing that I, I didn't mention but should have with these chatbots is how good they are at finding things like standards so that you don't have to. I've talked before about the science standards known as NGSS and how they're really great and very comprehensive, but they're very complex and, and there's just so many levels and layers to it depending on, you know, your your grade level or and then the topic within that grade level. And then each of those, it's just, I it's so complicated, I struggle to even explain it. There's different categories like... Uh, you know, cross-cutting concepts and patterns or, or something like that. There's just so much there. ChatGPT can help me break that down and just tell me what which of these things apply to my lesson if I just ask it to. So you can literally do that. Describe the lesson you're teaching, like I'm teaching a lesson on electron configurations, what NGSS standards relate to that for 10th graders, and it's going to tell me, and then I don't have to weed through all that garbage to find it. You know, I was just thinking about how far we, we've come since I first started. I'll share this story real quick, and it's going to make me feel old. And sure. when I think about it, I definitely feel old. <laughs> and uh, my first year, they hand they handed out these big green, kind of like fake leather, plasticky lesson plan books that I actually had to handwrite my lessons and turn those in every oh, quarter. Man. I know, I think we went away from that when you started, right. but I remember that. I, I'm just like, man, we had chalkboards too when I first started. Yeah. Okay. And I'm just thinking, wow, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, progress that we, we've seen. And, you know, I'm very open. Once you get four years in of teaching a, a certain subject, you really shouldn't be having to do the bulk of the lesson planning. I don't, I think it's just a, 
a hoop to jump through at that point. But hopefully you you've done them digitally and I have all my lessons plan all my lesson plans digitally done whereas I could just go in and at the end of each week part of my reflection is going and kind of highlighting things that didn't work as well or needs refreshing that way you know whenever I get a chance I could go in there and put in a new activity but that would be a good way of using ChatGPT is just like going back and asking for a list of 10 or 15 activities that could replace that one and just keeping it fresh, like you said earlier. Let's get into our next category, which is presentations. So creating presentations. We've listed a couple of different things here. The one that I've been using all the time lately is Canva. I just like the fact that they have magic AI in there where you can have them develop your initial presentation and then I go in and I change it the way that I want. So I don't I don't have to think about the design of a slide. They'll give me a good design. All I have to do is go back, add the graphs, the pictures, the images, delete some words because I hardly have any words on my slides and personalize it a little bit. So Canva, I really like for presentations amongst other things, but that's the one that stood out to me. Yeah, Canva's a, a no-brainer there. I'm going to throw one out there, Quizzes, very very well-known gamification platform Quizzes. What I don't what I don't know if everybody knows is that it's they don't only have quizzes. You can also do now what are called Quizzes lessons. And a Quizzes lesson is essentially a it's a presentation. It's like a slide deck. You can even import slide decks you've already got from like Google Slides or something else. And it's going to convert them automatically to a quiz is lesson so that the the effort is low for you. The cool part being once it's converted to a quiz is lesson, you can incorporate quizzes style quiz questions in that presentation. So this would, you know, I think about this as like what I, what I used to have to do is if I had a PowerPoint presentation that I was going through, we would get to a certain slide with a multiple choice question and I would have to send my students to, my favorite one was Poll Everywhere. I still really like Poll Everywhere, but this is a kind of a good example of Poll Everywhere was a, um, you know, a one-off tool that did one thing that I don't really need anymore because if I were to switch to quizzes, lessons, now I've got the presentation housed in the exact same place as the formative assessment question because it's all right there in quizzes. So I'm not jumping back and forth from my PowerPoint slides to, okay, everyone now go to pull everywhere. And then I go to pull everywhere and open up that tab. You know, you can do all that stuff, but boy, it's it's way cleaner and nicer if you, if you ditch that and say, well, I'm just gonna import this slide deck to quizzes lessons. And now all my questions are are right there. I don't have to go anywhere else. The students don't have to go anywhere else. They they're just in quizzes while they watch and listen. It's a it's a no brainer and is a good way to do one of the things we've talked about, and that is not over over tooling your edtech toolkit. Yeah, there's one that I will mention in this category that I want to check out further, and this is one that we talked about. I think it was right around ISTE of last year, and that's CuriePod, because I, I hear them making some some waves. It's going to be tough to pull me away from Canva, but if it's something that I can app smash 
or if that does that particular thing really, really well, and it's better than what Canva has to offer, I might take a look at CurryPod. I hear just a lot of good things about it. Uh, I have been using quizzes. Usually what I've been doing is developing my my uh, presentations in Canva and then uploading them to quizzes and uh, using their their question banks and question types for that. And with the, the AI integration of quizzes, it's very easy to add questions based on whatever content you have there. So that was our second category. All right, let's get into our next one. But before that, we've covered lesson planning, presentations, and another one that's very important is activity development. So what do we mean by activity development? We mean basically anything that you're going to use in the classroom to to create an activity for your students to carry on. So that could be anything from making some type of formative assessment that could be making an infographic template or whatever it may be. You could just maybe want to make your worksheets a little bit more visually appealing. But I'm going to get into the one that I think is the most influential for me, and that is magicschool.ai because lately I've just been using that for pretty much everything, pre-planning for my classes. And I know some of the other ones on the list I also use on a regular, but uh, Magic School has piqued my interest, especially lately, because they keep adding more and more, and I want to play around with it. And like I said, the other two, you can use it anywhere. Yeah, and that's the beautiful part of the, you know, the other one that we're going to bring up again for like the third time in this episode, Canva is is probably the best place to go f- for this exact purpose just because of everything they have there. You know, we've already covered it with presentations because that's sort of like Canva classic, right? Is making really awesome looking presentations, but you could do all of your work straight out of Canva now whether it's you know, a digital whiteboarding space for group work or a brainstorming activity. You can do projects right in there, right? Student projects where the students log in with their own free Canva for education accounts and make that digital poster or make that, you know, social media post for whatever it is that you're studying as a, as a creative, creative way to go about that project. Even just documents, just Canva has Canva docs like Google docs. I know a lot of people are going to be hesitant to make that switch because we've got everything in Google Docs, and that's cool. I'm not switching all my stuff to Canva Docs either, but it's there if you want to you know, start to sort of play around with it. Maybe it's got some features you like. Something cool I discovered recently, I don't know if you know this, but this was like a happy accident. When I was trying to upload an image into Canva, by mistake, I uploaded a um, a PDF. So this is like when you're making a design, your little uploaded images. I uploaded a PDF. The PDF did not appear in my uploaded images because it's not one. But when you upload a PDF into Canva, it automatically turns that PDF into a Canva doc. So I had that PDF in Canva. And the really cool part is all of the text, Canva automatically turned that into text boxes that I could then edit and play around with. So getting th- uh, PDFs in particular, maybe an easy way to make them editable, 
drag them into Canva. It's going to do all the work for you automatically. Have you seen that before with PDFs? Yeah, I I have seen that before. Uh, I needed to uh, sign something, and I ran out of my free you know credits for the DocuSign thing right. that I used. So I brought it in. I also used Canva to make my signature and my email. So I wanted to actually have my signature, and I just made it as a picture yeah. in there. So just by knowing that I could sign a PDF in there, I figured I could also make a signature. But uh, you listed a couple of awesome uses of Canva. I just wanted to back up just one second and kind of share some of the magic school particular uses. Now, these are specific for specific needs. For Canva, we usually talk about as broad uh, subjects like infographics. We don't go into content-specific areas or anything like that. But in magic school, a lot of special ed prompts have already been created for you. These tools have been there. For example, you can do accommodation suggestion generator where you generate a list of five to 10 accommodations for a student who needs support who has a 504 plan. Uh, you could scaffold activities, so throw the activity in there and it will scaffold it for you. Uh, there's behavior intervention suggestion generator. So generate a list of three to five suggestions for behavior intervention, and it will spit those out. Some other uses of specific tools are a choice board generator, a class newsletter tool. There are some fun ones in there, like colleague song generator, write a song to celebrate a colleague to the tune of the song of your choice. So that's kind of fun. But you, you keep going down here, you could have like email responses, IEP generator. So if you want to follow like the 80-20 rule or 90 to 10 rule, you could generate most of the bulk work of the IEP with this generator and then go in there and write specific things about the student in there to personalize it a little bit. There's a lesson plan generator, a letter of recommendation generator. Same thing there. I would definitely go in there and personalize that a little bit. These are just a couple. There's a project-based learning generator. I have used this one. I said in my environmental chapter, I wanted it to go in and create a uh, human impact lesson and uh, project where students had to go in and investigate different human impacts and how it, infect, how it impacted the environment. My absolute favorite is the rubric generator. So easy to use and it's it's on point, but there's a whole bunch here. So make sure that you check out Magic School. Make sure that you continue to use Canva. If you don't have it in your K through 12 classroom, make sure that you get your IT guys to go and uh, set that up because it is free. I think we had one more. Yeah, the, the only other one here is is uh, Diffit, and that is going to dovetail into the the next section as well. So I'll sort of use it to bring us through to, to the next part of this. But Diffit, we've talked about it a lot. I think it's an, an, an incredible tool. It is technically a text uh, leveling tool, uh, which means if you've got uh, something written, like an article or a website or whatever, can even be just documents in your your Google Drive, anything with a URL link, I believe even YouTube videos now, as long as there's a transcript for it. You put it in there, you put that link in there, and it automatically 
can adjust that text to any reading level. And my, I don't know if my favorite one, but one of the most helpful ones is any language. And I'm just, the the language thing is on my mind because just yesterday we had a new student suddenly who is Ukrainian and everyone's like scampering to try and figure out how to get materials to help the student because we don't have a whole lot of Ukrainian materials here. And diff it's the go-to man because any of your, your teacher documents, worksheets, you just put them straight in there and you can swap that over to whatever language you want in, in seconds. So it just takes away so much stress and so much heavy lifting. And, and honestly, it allows you to do something that would literally just not be possible for like this student who speaks only Ukrainian. Otherwise, she may just be sort of hanging out in class doing nothing really. And, and with Diffit, you can give her the exact same materials that the other students have in uh, her own language. So it's it's really great. You know, as far as activity development, the reason we put it here is because when you do this, when you put in some sort of a document or text, um, you can level it up and change the reading level. You can change the language, but you don't have to. You can leave it as is and then just use the um, the different export options that they have, which means along with that text leveling, it's also going to create a bunch of uh, other resources like uh, vocabulary words, assessment questions in multiple choice, open-ended, you know, discussion topics. And then it can take all of those things, all of those supplementary resources and export them into Google Forms, nice and simple, Google Docs, nice and simple, but tons of other like fully developed lesson plan templates usually built off of Google Slides. And it's hard to describe these, so I would just recommend heading to Diffit and, and checking them out. It, a lot of them follow like typical teaching models. One of them is like the, you know, sight words, uh, flashcards, and it's going to take all that stuff and plug it in to a Google Slide Deck, but using that model. KWL charts, Freyer models, all of these things that you might have to sit there and create if it's going to create that for you based on the resource you put in. So besides having the English version and the Ukrainian version, you can then also export those into these Google slide templates that really do the entire lesson for you. And, and uh, they're, it, they're just great. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing tool, Diffit. So amazing. It's coming up twice because our next little section here on your EdTech toolkit is for assessments in, in Diffit obviously fits in really well there because that's kind of what they do, right? All of these, the the questions that Diffit builds around those resources, they can be used as formative, ideally, but if you wanted to take those as like summative questions, you could do that, of course, too. And it is awesome. So as far as assessment creation goes, let's just throw Diffit out there right from the beginning. Yeah, and the other one we talked about as well, and that's quizzes, but this time we're doing AI and the extension because quizzes just released an extension that allows you to go to any website that you're visiting, click on that extension, and automatically create a quiz based on that website. All right, so this is game-changing, and their AI, in my opinion, is top-notch compared to some of the other uses of AI in EdTech tools. And I think, I don't know, I'm really, really glad that uh, we got turned on the quizzes at the beginning of this year because, I mean, it is definitely one of those tools that is in my toolkit. And 
most notably because they keep making improvements. They advance the AI usage and they make it easy on teachers. We have teachers that are, in, in past episodes, we, we talked about teachers who are tech comfortable and tech uncomfortable. We have teachers that are tech uncomfortable that are tech loving quizzes. And uh, I'm, I'm right there with that big fan. I think I still could utilize it more, but every time I, I take two steps forward, they're also taking two steps forward with more stuff that you could do in, in a non-overwhelming way. I mean, it's super simple to understand and use. So quizzes and Diffit are our two go-to assessment creation uh, pieces. Something just to mention with the the uh, quizzes extension is you, you know you said it'll turn a website into a question set automatically that includes Google Docs or PDFs in your Google Drive so you can just open those up in your Chrome browser click the quizzes extension and I've been doing this for my study guides because these are all in Google Docs uh, they're posted for the kids well now without any extra work on my part at all besides a couple clicks on the quizzes extension, I can take those study guides and have quizzes automatically generated from what's in them. So for the students that would like to study that way with this quizzes, I can do that in seconds. And another really cool thing is I think quizzes is sort of starting to try to edge out Diffit a little bit because when you click on that quizzes extension, when you're on a website, you'll get two options. One of them is make a quiz. Another one is generate a passage with questions, which if you couldn't tell from my last description, that's what Diffit does. I can't tell if this is new or if it's been there and I just haven't noticed it, but this is sort of going along with my study guide thing and I just tested this now. It sort of had the AI sort of comb over what is in my study guide and it generates a passage with a bunch of follow-up questions that are in this, you know, the typical quizzes quiz format. So. This one, this one is huge, and I, I've stayed away from a lot of these gamification tools for a long time because I just didn't want to like sit there and have to input the questions. It was a time thing for me. With the AI integration into quizzes, that time factor is essentially completely gone, and it's just been so great. And not to harp on it too much, but the other day I was making a quizzes on helping students learn element names and symbols and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll just grind it out and, and I'll, I'll make this quiz. I've been putting it off for years. Well, and then I remembered this quizzes extension. All I had to do was open up my document, my Google Doc that listed out the element names and symbols that the kids are supposed to memorize. I clicked the quizzes extension and it did it for me. So what I thought was going to take like an hour took about 10 seconds. And then I put the shared link on their study guide and we're off to the races. So you know, I can't say enough good things about quizzes, and I'm sure a lot of the gamification tools are doing similar things. You know, if you're a Kahoot fan, you might be seeing the same types of stuff there. Blookit, what's the other big one? Gimkit, you name it. I have a feeling this is happening all over the place, but we, we at least right now, are, are big, uh, big fans of quizzes and the developments that they've got going. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all about variation in our classroom, so... I'm good with keeping both of those in my EdTech toolkit just sure. because it's going to not be the same thing over and over and over again. And I don't think that the kids would get sick and tired of either one. Maybe yeah. they would, but I think 
the way that there's finding ways to keep it exciting. Both of those tools, uh, those are definitely in my uh, toolkit. All right, so the last topic, or the last grouping here, is a very large part of teaching, and we grouped them all together. Why we did this, no clue, but we did. <laughs> so we're going to live with it, and that's rubric creation, leaving feedback, and grading. I guess we put it in there because you know rubrics are a part of gra grading, so is uh, feedback. So we just looped it all under grading. We have three tools here. We talked about Magic School. We talked about the Rubric Creator, so we're just going to leave that one alone. There are other tools that help with grading in there as well. So go check out that, especially the rubric tool. We have ScreenPal, which I believe we mentioned up at the top of the episode. Uh, ScreenPal is our favorite screencasting tool. You mentioned it with your flip classroom. And it's just an amazing tool for feedback as well, because you can, anywhere where you can put text, you could also put a link to a ScreenPal video and it takes little to no time to do it. It's, it's literally record your video. Maybe you're answering problem for one of your students, or maybe you want to demonstrate where the student went wrong in their work. Uh, you bring up their work, you show them their error, you give them ways that they could correct it, and then you give them that video to show feedback. Uh, and you could put it anywhere. You could put it in an email. You could put it in a Google Forms box that you would enter any answers. You could put it anywhere. So I highly recommend ScreenPal for feedback. And then the last one, I'll just wrap up uh, with Moat. Moat does the same thing, except it does it in audio bits. So the little audio boat, their little audio bits that you could use in on Chrome. One thing I do like about Moat is that you can uh, make almost like canned comments. And uh, now that I'm talking about canned comments, there's probably one more tool that we should throw in here because I do use this one all the time as well, and that's TextBlaze. We've talked a lot about it lately. It's it's just an AI tool that allows you to make these little shortcuts, and you could have templates, and when you go to any blank, you could just leave yourself a shortcut, forward slash, and then whatever your shortcut is, uh, feedback. And then they could see that they didn't write a hypothesis the correct way, and you could give them resources, linked resources, and all this will go into their feedback comment, whether it's a off of a Google Doc, you could do a comment there, you could put it right in the Google Doc, you could put it in an email, wherever you could put a blank, you could put it, and that's also very, very powerful. Yeah, TextBlaze is huge. That should be in everybody's EdTech Toolkit. Screen, just to jump back, ScreenPal, I've been experimenting using this, and it seems to be working out pretty good. So when you know when we grade and leave feedback, uh, you can you can go into like a student's Google Doc and leave comments, and and that's fine. But I usually don't do that just because it requires me to like open up their Google Doc from the LMS that we use. So I got to do that, and then click on the tab where their Google Doc is, and then start clicking to leave the comments. I just found it like extra work and I started getting annoyed with all the clicking and switching tabs. But with ScreenPal, I can stay directly in our LMS. We have this like crummy little feedback box that all you can type in is text. And usually when I grade work, I, you know, I'm looking over the student document that's sort of like the view of it that it gives me in our LMS. 
and I'm trying to type things in this feedback box, but it's just typing and it's this, it's hard to, it doesn't like give you any formatting options. It's just pure text. So instead what I started doing is I, I grade the student work as I, as I typically would, but I have ScreenPal recording me the whole time. So as I'm looking through the document, ScreenPal is capturing my screen. It's capturing what I'm saying. So a lot of it is me just sort of like scrolling silently or, you know, scrolling but pausing to read the student work out loud. And as I'm doing that, I'm saying things out loud to the student in this, in this video form. And then when I'm done, uh, I just insert the little, you know, ScreenPal gives you like a little uh, a link. And that link is what goes in this feedback box so that when students want feedback on the grade they got, now they can just click the video link and, and essentially watch me grade their, their stuff. I don't know if this is good yet because I just started it. I'm going to see what the students tell me if they like that or if they don't. What I can tell you is they don't do a whole lot of reading for the text feedback that I've been leaving. So maybe the video stuff will be more well-received. I don't know, but I at least wanted to share that as like an option. Yeah, I talked to one of our history teachers who used Moat last year and the year before, and he said that more students have reported positive feedback on that. I would imagine because it's so personalized that students would really like that because then they know that they're really, that you're really reading their inf information, their work, you're providing thoughtful feedback and, and maybe doing that the first couple of times, you know, you'll see a increase in their student work and motivation behind that because they, they feel like it's going somewhere. And it's not just going to that, you know, educational graveyard, academic graveyard that we always used to talk about. That's going to end this episode with uh, just our productivity at Tech Toolkit. So this is everything on the teacher side. In an upcoming episode, it won't be our next one or probably our, even our next two, we're going to go over the EdTech Toolkit for both Nick's EdTech Toolkit and my EdTech Toolkit for our classrooms. And that's going to be a little different because these are the, the EdTech tools that we choose for our students. And that's totally different than preparing. It's what they're actually using and exploring. But that's going to wrap up this episode. If you find value in our episodes, please go over, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can rate us over there as well. You can find us on any of the podcast catchers, such as Spotify, Google Podcasts, until they're no longer, Stitcher, Sprecher. We have a whole bunch of other ones that I can't even pronounce that are podcast catchers. And we also have a YouTube channel, which will be uh, featuring our 12 days of Ed tech here. In another week or two, there'll be 12 new videos over there that you could check out. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter handles are Nick Got Teched, at Geist Got Teched, and the podcast is at We Got Teched. Until next time, think about your EdTech toolkit for productivity and what you use to prepare. And, and if you're so inclined, please share with us some of your EdTech toolkit, EdTech tools. Till next time, go check out some tools. We'll see you.
Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.